0: At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit RobertHalf.com today.
1: He is just an obsessive goal scorer.
2: But well, they have to understand I trust to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu blinks it back. I've haven't, I haven't got a
3: problem with soccer footballs. I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything single. Hello and welcome everybody to House of Champions. Delighted to say that I am joined this evening by Nigel Ryokoka and we will be chewing through the best of Wednesday's news and the latest action. So thanks a lot for joining in. And of course, we have the USMNT World Cup roster drop to look forward to as well. Just a quick reminder, there are no breaks in the soccer calendar. And to celebrate that fact, Paramount Plus is offering listeners 50% annual savings on P+ subscriptions, UCL, UEL, Serie A, NWSL, and much, much more. So click the link, the description, or scan the QR code on screen and use offer code all year to save 50% on your annual P plus subscription. And then you'll be able to hear more from the likes of Nigel Rio Coker and I. Nigel, how are you doing, my friend? Great to be on with you. And this is a, it's a very Villa heavy chat we have tonight uh yes it's great to be on you with you and i know exactly where you're trying to steer
2: me into jj being a, <laughs> a villa fan we may touch up on a few things but not greatly but yeah it's great to be on you i think looking forward to it squads are being announced for the world cup uh there's been some interesting comments funny enough from uh ex-fifa associates in their belief right now all of a sudden that they've grown a moral conscious when uh they were their big part of uh the growth of FIFA making
3: some wrong decisions, but we've got a lot to get into, my friend. Fighting talk. Well, yeah, let's get straight into it then. And the big news, I think, in terms of sort of squad news developing over the course of Wednesday, was us waking up to the news that Sadio Mane, of course, Senegal's talisman, but also one of Bayern Munich's star players, may miss the World Cup. Now, it's not certain; he's not been a hundred percent ruled out. You've got Bayern Munich coming out and saying that there is, uh, you know, some some injury concern, but you've also got Senegal, not officially via the Senegalese Football Federation just yet, but by you know sources connected well uh, within sort of the the Senegalese soccer uh, sphere, saying that it's a bit premature to rule Mane out completely. Bayern saying yes, he's out or probably out. Senegal saying they're not sure yet. Nigel, where do you where do you sit on this? Do you think it's inevitable that you're going to have these kind of tug of wars between clubs and countries? That, you know, for something this important.
2: Well, my perspective on it, JJ, is I always feel when it comes to these situations, and I've seen it before in my career, I always feel that there always seems to be a greater lack of respect for African nations from westernised clubs. You know, we've we've seen managers make comments, which for me are quite alarming. And I think for me, the lack of communication between Bayern Munich and uh, Senegal's footballing association is, is embarrassing. And you wonder whether Bayern Munich are trying to protect themselves in the sense of, Again, we spoke about it so many times. It's the first ever World Cup during Christmas. We've never seen this before. We don't know what to expect. We've already seen loads of players get injured pretty much two weeks a week out from the World Cup. So again, we've discussed it. I feel that for me, this is a World Cup where any manager of common sense would have to pick players on form. There is no training camp. There is no warm-up games. You're going straight into it. The most important thing in this World Cup is picking players on form. Obviously, it's different for every nation. But I feel that maybe this is something about Bayern Munich trying to protect themselves, protect the investment, because you're going to get the argument, JJ, of who pays your wages, and it's the clubs. The clubs pay the wages, and it's not a World Cup where players have summer to regroup pre-season, get ready for the next season, and take their time to bed them into the season because it's a long season. No, it's a World Cup, and as soon as they come back, some leagues have a luxury of having more time off, which is the German league, credit to them. And then you've got league competition and also European competition. Bayern Munich have Paris Saint-Germain. Saudi Emane is one of their main recruits this year and one of their talisman. So are they putting their own selfish needs ahead of international needs of Senegal?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic debate, Uh, you know, really fascinating. Uh, And I do think as well, there is perhaps the flip side as well that, you know, Bayern might have almost too much time off, not in terms of, you know, whether it's good for the players or not. I definitely think it is good for the players to get a breather. But because they come back so late in January, like actually getting themselves, you know, back up to speed with, you know, where other teams are going to be at, especially ahead of the return to Champions League action. That's, it's pretty tight, you know, and I do think that there is, that risk. I mean, I can understand where Bayern are coming from, but also at the same time, I don't think that they can, you know, stand in Mane's way if he could, if he can actually, you know, physically be on the pitch and, and contribute for Senegal in some meaningful way. I mean, the other possibility as well, I think, for Senegal is, you know, is Mane you know, so important, uh, you know, on the pitch? Or is he also somebody who brings a lot to the squad as well? Because from from where I'm sat, he, he brings a huge amount to the, the the team just by being there, not necessarily by being on the pitch. So, I mean, what I are your JJ, thoughts for on that?
2: Me, I, I think he's important on the pitch. I think we've seen that and also we're seeing that with how Liverpool are struggling this year without him. I've always felt that he was a big loss for Liverpool. I feel that there's some players, and I've had it in my career, where there's some players where... They're just such unique characters. They don't always have to be a big personality off the pitch or anything like that. But when they're on a football pitch with you, they bring a unique extra bit of confidence within your team and teammates because you know he has that unique attribute to make something out of nothing, that personality, that drive where something will happen through him. That's what Mane brings. And I think Mane now has raised to the occasion. He's achieved great things with Liverpool. He's doing fantastic at the moment with Bayern Munich. And I feel he does believe he's one of the best players in the world and rightly should. And I feel that he brings an extra element of threat when he plays for Senegal. The other national teams have to show that respect to him and be very cautious of him. And when he draws that kind of attraction, it will open up other avenues and other space for other players because he draws that attention, not just by one player, maybe two or three players where he can open up avenues. So I think for me, he'll be more of an impact being on the football pitch with his Senegal teammates than being there just as a cheerleader. You know, I think when you get in that kind of aspect, there's something else more that comes to it. But I just feel he's such an influence to be on the pitch. And again, this is when you go into the tug of war from club's perspective to international perspective. And I know there's things in place, but again, like I've seen it so many times, I always feel that there's a lack of respect for African nations when
3: it comes to these clubs and how they deal with these situations. Well, on the topic of African nations as well, Senegal aren't just any African nation; they're the defending continental champions as well. Africa Cup of Nations champions from twenty twenty one, you know. So obviously, Mane you know would be a huge miss for them going into the World Cup, a, a, a World Cup where many of us were were expecting them to do well, certainly finishing the top two of their group and advance to the knockout phase. So let's leave the Senegal debate for another time once we've actually had it confirmed whether money is in or out. Uh, let's move on to England. We know that Reese James now has announced that he is out. Uh, what does that mean for Gareth Southgate, Nigel, do you think? That was his number one choice. I think when, again, if, you, if, if Gareth Southgate is going to pick
2: his squad on form, and I'm sure this is something that you're very knowledgeable on as well. We've had discussions before. I've always felt that Gareth Southgate knew his 20-man squad from a long time ago, in my opinion. I always felt he knew his squad from a very long time ago. But again, I think maybe, maybe things might be changing because of, um, current situation and form. Rhys James, I believe, on form right now, how he's playing for Chelsea, probably one of the best right-back in world football currently. And I think he would have been Gareth Southgate's number one choice. I think that's a big blow for England because not only is he great defensively, but the evolution of his game in the attacking sense and what he contr- what he contributes now in the final third is just something you can't really coach easily in players. And he's just taking his game to another level. So it's a big, big blow. It's opened up the doors. There are other capable right backs. And obviously, we heard a little whisper earlier today as well. My good friend, um, Ashley Young, has been uh, put in the initial 55-man squad, not confirmed, but was initially in there. And I think at 37, what he's doing as well is truly fantastic to see because he's a great influence, not just as a player, but as someone in the dressing room you want. You know, I've I've played with Ashley before. I know what he's like when it comes to the game of football. Passionate, committed. And I think that, again, his form has been fantastic and it's hard for anyone to really deny it.
3: Well, before we have a look at some of the the hardest decisions for for Southgate, something of a a personal curiosity for me, and I'll ask you, because you're someone who who did fill in in that position, uh, you know, during your playing career from time to time, right back, you just mentioned Reese James being arguably the best right back in the world in form at the moment. Why, why is it such a problematic position for so many of the national teams especially coming into this world cup because you've got a lot of these different teams now who seem to be moving away from like a back four they play with like three central defenders and then you've got these two kind of like wing backs. it's almost like they're trying to escape the defensive duties because there's just not that many backs, you know who can actually do it and it doesn't just go for the right side it goes for the left side as well
2: well the problem we've got uh, JJ is most of the coaching nowadays, and I've seen it. And I've got um colleagues of mine, ex colleagues who've got young kids who are in the academy system. Most of these kids are being coached as center backs and defenders to bring the ball on the chest and play football. Play football, they're missing the aspect of you're a defender, learn to defend the defensive aspect of it. And when you have a player like Reese James who can do both the defensive side of the game but also contribute tremendously in the attacking side of the game in the modern day fullback, that is a unique golden nugget that is an absolute pink diamond blue diamond whatever you want to call him it's a rare gemstone the problem with what we're seeing in modern football is a lot of the young defenders coming through right now there isn't a great enough effort being put to them to learn the defensive aspect of the game. If you're a defender, how to defend, how to make it difficult for an attacker, how to close down, how do you make it predictable for your other defenders to know what you're doing, what your intentions are. You know, that real aggressiveness in defending, that's gone. But that's all because of the modern day academies. You look at the modern game now, when we were younger, when you were much younger with a bit more hair in your head, when you used to cover (laughs) the game, I'm sure... You used
3: to see people. Uh, That's that's what a lifetime of being a Villa fan does to you.
2: Yeah, I I don't blame you, some of the managers that (laughs) you've had at Villa. Anyway, um, teams used to just kick the ball from the goal line and used to fight for second balls. Now you're seeing the modern day now, you've got the two centre-backs wide, you've got your full-backs up, every team plays out. So when you look at that side of the game, that is what a lot of these kids are coached on now, being able to play and be technically good on the ball to play out the back. So when you spend so much time on that playing aspect, how much time can you spend on defending? And that's why I feel some players are just natural defenders and they just stand out like a sore thumb. We talked when we did our fantasy teams, you look at Rudiger, how influential he is. He is a defender. Thiago Silva, he is a defender, but he's also, again, another gem where he can play out the back. He's comfortable on the ball. But it's it's a change in time in the system of the game.
3: Uh, interesting question being put forward. Why... Are players like Smalling and Tamori not getting a look in uh, with the England national team? Do you think it's as simple as Gareth Southgate doesn't watch anything outside of the Premier League? Because obviously they've been performing well in Italy. Uh, You know, do you think it's just that, you know, Southgate doesn't pay attention to what's going on on the continent? Or is it something else that he's maybe seeing in their game that, you know, we're not seeing? Because when we look at them, we see two players in fantastic form.
2: Well, JJ, that's a fantastic question. And you know the answer yourself. As much as you live in France and you're living the life with your your fancy cheese being burnt on the table and your wine, (laughs) you're as English as they come, all right? I'm sure you're returning to Kent next week or something. But anyway, you know the English are very arrogant. And I think for me, it's about the arrogance of if you're not playing the Premier League, you're dead and busted. And that's something that's happened a long time ago. But when you have undeniable talent like Jude Bellingham, you can't deny that young man's talent. England missed out on Musiala, who's now become a star for Germany. But I agree with that question. I think Smalling and Tomori have been on great form and they deserve recognition. But the problem is, I think that there is a bit of an arrogance in England where because they're not playing in England, they get overlooked. But I truly agree to that. And I think that they deserve recognition. I won't say Tomori is the finished article. And I know a lot of people have been criticising him recently because of his performances against Chelsea and because of the mistakes he's made recently against it for AC Milan, but judge him when he plays for the national team. Don't judge him domestically on one or two bad games. What about all the other great games he's had? The young man deserves a chance to play in the England shirt. And if he does have one or two bad performance in the England shirt, then you can say, okay, maybe you can see why he's not a regular starter. But that's just the English mentality. I've seen it growing up and it needs to change. But it's something that I think is going to be hard to
3: change. A couple of really good uh, comments just there from uh, Krishna a couple of uh, minutes ago. You had him talking about the the mental difficulty of uh, having to recover from an injury and you know having the blow of missing out on the World Cup, as we've seen with the the likes of Ben Chilwell recently. But just staying on that topic, just one one minute more uh, about players. You know, sort of the the, the bias from from sort of. The, the perspectives in England to the, the different leagues on the continent. Is there one player that immediately springs out in mind to you who you think in their prime would have benefited from going abroad? I mean, we're seeing it a bit more now, which is really refreshing when you've got your Bellinghams, your santros going to Germany and really, you know, finding themselves, showing what they can do. But I always felt that there were guys like Joe Cole, for example, you know, would have been a fantastic fit outside of the Premier League as well and, and moved abroad far too late in his career. Of course,
2: I think a lot of that older generation probably would have benefited from being a bit more adventurous. But you know it as well. You know, I grew up in, in, in England. I played football my entire, most of my career, pretty much in England, and I understand the culture. You know, that's that's me. I'm British. I never say I'm English. I'm British. JJ, British. You know the difference. Anyway, um, just like our producer Des, he's Irish. He's- <laughs> Not watching no World Cup this year, though, is he, Des? Yeah. Um, No, I think there is. But I think there's always been a bit of a travel sickness. And again, it goes with the arrogance of not really watching football outside of England. But it's the fact of I feel that there needs to be greater adventure. And obviously, we're seeing, like you just mentioned, about Jude Bellingham being such a superstar for England. We're seeing the clubs he's linked with. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If I was Jude Bellingham, if there was interest still from Real Madrid, I would go there. Because I think perfectly for me, it's a great fit. It's a great project for the long term. And the reality of it is we know what the English press can be like with its own players. They'll build you up to be something so great only to knock you back down because that's just the British press mentality and that's just the English way. We've seen it so many times. Jordan Sancho, for me, hasn't been the same Jordan Sancho we saw at Borussia Dortmund to what we're seeing at Manchester United. So would there be anything wrong if you'd have taken... Jordan Sancho should have gone for me whether he went somewhere else whether from Borussia Dortmund he went to AC Milan or or somewhere other big club or even, even to a Bayern you don't, you
3: don't think it's specific to the environment at United that sort of partially explains why Sancho is struggling so much
2: I think the environment at United doesn't help because of the structures of the club and what we're seeing I also feel that the press the British press doesn't help also I feel that there's greater is, it, is that
3: is that, that barbed and slightly aimed at me no, not you. You're,
2: you're a nice guy. But I, I honestly think that, um, for me, there, there's always been that when you come through the academy system from all the coaches you meet, uh, you've got to stay in England. If you're not staying in England, you're dead. But that's just, that's just for me, it's just lies. Every nation or in, in Europe had a time of dominating football. Yes, the Premier League is probably the biggest league watched in world football, but you can still have great success playing in Serie A, La Liga, because you, and, and even in Germany, because you've got clubs with tremendous history. You're talking about Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, even Ajax. I remember when we all used to watch total football under Ajax, when the Dutch were literally dominating European football from Ajax to PSV um, and to other clubs from, from Dutch football, then Germans had their, their dominating time. But now you look in European football consistently, the Spanish teams, the German teams are always up there. And again, you've got to be careful into the environment that... You always go into, because if you look at Jude Bellingham now being pursued by maybe Chelsea, is that a stable environment? Is that a club that looks like it has direction right now? You look at Manchester United, that's a big rebuilding process. And then you just look at the other suitors that could come for him. So I just think that the British players have to be more receptive into travelling and expanding
3: their horizons. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a fantastic uh, topic and it's one that we could expand on even more. But let's take it back to England and sort of tie a, tie a bow on this. What, in your opinion, quick fire were the three real top and most difficult decisions that Southgate had to make for this squad?
2: I don't really think he's had to make that much difficult decisions. I think he's got a, a riches of great talent and it's just the mindset for me is the biggest thing with England. I feel that they're at their best when the shackles are off and they've got the freedom to go out and express themselves. You look at the European final against Italy, started off great, then they got a bit nervous and kind of played within themselves. They didn't continue in the same vein of playing on that front, foot, playing, attacking and being brave. The emphasis changed. The Italians got more confidence. And that's why I believe they lost that that European championship. I feel they've got the talent and the ability. It's just letting them go out there and express themselves. And Southgate, kind of being brave and giving them that confidence to go out and express themselves. I feel that's the biggest problem because this talent that we're seeing is generational talent. And I think that they, they can really achieve a lot. But again, it just goes down to the mindset, a lot of the players.
3: I always view Gareth Southgate as kind of like the footballing manager equivalent of Tim Hemman, somebody who, you know, perhaps had the ability, but didn't necessarily always have like the, the fight in them. I mean, do, you th- do you really think that there's anywhere else for Southgate to go with this group of players after Qatar, regardless of of, of what happens at the World Cup?
2: I think this is it. I think this is it for um, Gareth Southgate. I think that he's done great. I think England's biggest problem is the next hire after Gareth Southgate. I think that's what England's going to struggle with, because for me, out of all the managers England have had, I feel that Gareth Southgate is the most empathetic one that we've had who understands social issues and he's brought the team together and there's a great togetherness. So the next manager they bring in is going to be a real, real difficult choice, in my opinion, for England, because you've got a real different demographic and generation of players in a different time zone that you have to be smart about your next appointment. But I feel that after this World Cup, I feel that Gareth Southgate has done a tremendous job and it's time to, to move on to the next to see who can come in.
3: Well, it's definitely going to be something to watch uh, while we follow England through the World Cup. Right, time to take a break, and then uh, Nigel and I will be back after that. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business,
1: less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. That's T A I L O R B R A N D S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
3: all right welcome back everybody house of champions with me Jonathan Johnson and Nigel Rio Coca right before we get back to the world Cup uh, let's remember that there have been some midweek fixtures being played you got a lot of stuff going on in the EFL cup uh you know and you've had a, a couple of, uh, of surprise results there uh Nigel has anything uh stood out and uh, and caught your eye not the best evening for London clubs
2: no, not the best evening. But again, I'd have to say, if, you, if I'm being very honest, it's the EFL Cup. Some clubs have other priorities and it's not something that... Root, like, roots really, into Europe. Uh, no. <laughs> Some other clubs have other priorities right now, I think, that's more important. So it's always been like that with the EFL Cup. And uh, yeah, it, it is what it is. It, for, for these clubs, it's just another fixture. And then you, we're talking about it now. You've got to look how close the World Cup is with players playing. And obviously they've got weekend fixtures coming up. So it's just a uh, it's just another game that's the best way to put it.
3: Yeah, that's, uh, that's not untrue. Well, let's just quickly fly through those fixtures. So you had Arsenal losing 3-1 at home to Brighton. You had Newcastle beating Crystal Palace on penalties. Forest beating Spurs 2-0. You had Southampton needing penalties to knock out Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, West Ham going out at home to Blackburn Rovers also on penalties. Wolves beating Leeds narrowly. You had Liverpool needing penalties as well to beat Derby. And then you had Man City uh, 2-0 victors against Chelsea. Well, let's turn our eyes quickly To uh, Villa United because I don't think we've been on to discuss Unai Emery's first match together properly just yet. Now this this one's quite interesting because obviously it's a rematch. Uh, of the game that we saw a couple of days ago on uh, on Sunday when Villa blew United away 3-1. Curiously enough as well, it's, uh, for, well, for me at least, it's also a, a throwback to the 2010 uh, Carling Cup final when uh, we lost 2-1 at Wembley. I remember being there, being outraged that Vidic wasn't sent off after five minutes for that early penalty. But uh, no, I just wanted to get your thoughts really quickly on the way that, uh, you know, Villa have started life under Unai Emery because, the EFL Cup, I mean, we were talking about it just there. It's not important for a lot of clubs. And you'd assume it's probably not that important for United. But for Villa, a club that craves getting back into Europe, this could be potentially a really good pathway that's opening up with some of these big clubs falling to the wayside.
2: Yeah, I definitely would have to say that this is a competition that Unai Emery has his eye on. It's He's the he's the cup manager. We've seen how successful he can be in cups. And I'm sure Villa are going to be as committed, if not so, even more so committed than they were in the in, in the league fixture against Manchester United. I can't really see Manchester United honestly taking it too seriously because of everything else that's going on. I believe their priority alone is the Europa Cup and then also trying to finish in the top four. I think they're their two objective this season. But for Unai Emery, I think that Villa would definitely concentrate on this and it'd be great to bring back some cup success with a fantastically big club. And to a lot of our listeners out there, let's remember that Aston Villa is one of the only British clubs to win the European Cup. And as much as we're finding these new fans who are Manchester City fans and they love Manchester City, let's remember they've never won the European Cup. But um, you can see how quickly he stamped his authority, JJ. Like you can see in the team performance, you look at the shape, you look at the enthusiasm, you look at how they break, they use the width, they got wide, Ashley Young um, hugging the touchline um and it's just for me it's, it's fantastic to see well organized typical Eli Emery team and he i've seen i think saw so, so, some pictures in the press when he was taking training and you can see he's moving the ball and he's moving the players in relation to where the ball is where their positioning should be how they should be set and for me that's just a manager that's coaching and has experience and knows exactly what he wants and it's great to see and i feel that he could really make something special happen. And I hope that the board back him to get him some more players and the right players that he feels would suit Aston Villa. And that he could really achieve good things there if given time. Well,
3: fingers crossed that the Villa board are listening to Nigel Coke's plea. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction for this match, but there has been an interesting question raised by Rocco Sage. And he says, Nigel, would you have left the Premier League in your Villa days if Roma or Napoli... Had come calling. Did you ever get an offer from another European club while you were in the Premier League?
2: I would have, and there's a funny, interesting story. I think we were playing the England Under 21s tournament, and at that time, we lost. I think we lost to Holland in that tournament. And then the star player, or the one who got the big move, was Drentner, went to Real Madrid. And in that tournament, there was interest for me to go to AC Milan, but again, because of uh, my representation and the lack of real kind of connections that we had there that I was actually more interested and I was willing to go to AC Milan before the whole Aston Villa thing actually occurred. And even after I left Aston Villa, I definitely would have been more welcome to to go to European clubs and go to like the likes of Napoli or Roma. Because I know the history that comes with those clubs and obviously playing in that league.
3: Oh, fantastic, uh, insight and something I wasn't aware of, uh, before your Villa days, obviously. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll blast through a a couple of the other, the results, uh, around Europe as well. You've got Atleti just about, I think, uh, laboring to a 1-0 defeat if uh, Des doesn't beat me to it in the chat yeah so losing to Mallorca again really does feel oh, like Atleti, Atleti. days are numbered for uh, for Diego uh, Simeone there it's, I don't know uh, if he's
2: days are numbered JJ he seems to have no? something over that board or that club at Atletico Madrid that he just can't seem to get sacked. staying around a bit too long now like a bit of a bad smell but it's great <laughs> because our producers and Atletico Madrid fan and they're absolutely stinking
3: Well, looking at the Bundesliga, there are a couple of really interesting results. You had Eintracht Frankfurt... Running up a big win against uh, Hoffenheim at home, four-two, and Leipzig, three-one winners against Freiburg. I know that Ian Joy is always raving about them in the the WhatsApp chat at the moment. Simakan and Nkunku, uh getting on the uh, on the score sheet. So that's just a little brief blitz around Europe for you guys. Uh, and now we will move it on to the roster talk. So we will look at some of the some of the teams uh, you know who have dropped their squads today. We had the likes of Switzerland, we had the likes of Wales, we had the likes of Croatia. Uh, Of course, you had France as well. So there's a couple of uh, sort of headlines there. You've got Camavinga, who did make it despite, uh, you know, some reports that he wouldn't. Uh, Mike Mignon at this moment in time, not in the group, but Didier Deschamps has named a group that is one man light. So that could potentially open the door for him uh, coming back in. But, you know, when you look at that, uh, that French squad, despite the absence of Paul Pogba, Engolo Conte, I mean, it still does look like a, a, a strong group, doesn't it, Nigel?
2: It's a scary group. Like, who, who, who are we kidding? Regardless of who the French put out, they have talent in abundance. And they, the scary thing is, as well, is they've got great young talent coming through. You're talking about 18, 19 year old players. Uh, Chuamini, who I'm a big fan of, as you always mock how I pronounce his name. But you get that. You've got the old school <laughs> veterans in the likes of Giroud, Benzema, as you say, Mbappe, Guzman, Dembele, who's the heartbeat of Barcelona right now. And Cuckoo, who's just come on form and potentially maybe going to Chelsea. Coleman, the Bayern Munich beast. Like, it's just a formidable force of talent. But as I've said before, JJ, as you know, you live in France and Paris. The French's biggest enemy is the French themselves, because there could be some soap opera drama that could be a problem where someone wants to be or has to be their heads star in charge. That's the problem with the French. There could be anything that happens in this training camp, before games or anything like that, whether there's a diva moment from one or two players and they don't unite and play as a team. That's the biggest problem with the French national team. Tremendous talent, but everyone wants to be the top dog. And if, that doesn't, if they can't get that cohesion right to perform as a team, that's going to be their biggest enemy.
3: Well, I wonder who that comment could have been aimed at. Well, anyway, we name names. You name names. You
2: know better than us. Well, we you know.
3: I think. I I think we all know that. Let's ask the fans. Let's
2: ask Killian. 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 Certainly has. There we
3: go. I think we all know that Killian Mbappe does enjoy uh, a certain status. Uh, you know, which he he, he likes to. Um, let's say, flexes muscles from time to time, both at club uh, and country level. But, uh, you know, I do think as well, you've got Rafa there commenting at the moment, Mbappe's ego will get in their way. I do think that there is a risk that it does derail France at some point during the tournament. But I think Deshaun made some interesting calls as well, leaving Close out as a potential option on the right. That also, uh, you know, suggests that he is perhaps going to look to go Take things back to basics with the defense. Maybe go with a four-man defense instead of having that real attacking output on the right-hand side. Oh, am I scared of the World Cup curse? Yes and no. I mean, I, obviously, we know that it is—it is a thing. It does exist, and it's you know brought down countries like I mean France themselves in 2002, Spain, Germany as well in the past. But when you look at that group, and I, I mean, I keep saying it with all due respect to Australia. I don't see that much in the group with Australia, with Tunisia for France to really worry about Denmark. I definitely think could beat them to top spot in that group, but I don't think Australia or Tunisia will have enough to make sure that France don't advance past the group. But, you know, we will, we will see what actually happens uh, at the world cup. But in any case, being a, a, an American outlet, we have to pay attention to the USMNT roster drop, which is now complete, and it's going to be two Englishmen sharing their thoughts. So uh, this is going to make for for interesting viewing. So let's let's run through the roster um, really quickly, Nigel, and then I'll get your thoughts on uh, on the different uh, positions. So you've got the likes of Horvath, Sean Sh- Johnson, Matt Turner, uh, the goalkeepers, then. In defense, you've got Cameron Carter-Vickers, Sergio Dest. Uh, you've got Aaron Long, Shaquille Moore, Tim Ream, Anthony Robinson. You've got Joe Scally. Uh, then you've got DeAndre Yedlin, Walker Zimmerman. Moving on to the midfield, you've got Aronson. You've got Acosta. You've got Adams. You've got De La Torre. Interesting, given that he has barely featured for Celta Vigo and picked up an injury recently. You've got McKenney you've, uh, you've got uh, you've got Roldan as well. You've, and then moving forward, you've got Ferreira, Morris, Pulisic, Reina, Sargent, Tim Weyer, which for me was an interesting inclusion. You've got Hadji Wright as well. Uh, let's start with those attacking uh, options. Any surprise names, uh, any inclusions there for you, Nigel, as somebody who does keep your eye on uh, on the the American game over there? Well, I'm actually quite surprised in
2: the Tim Ware one, really and truly, because he's kind of, he's been in and out the squad a bit kind of thing, right? And uh, I don't know, man. Like, overall, there's, you'd have to say that you worry for this USA side because, again, I've said, for me, this is a tournament that's based on current form. A lot of these starting 11 players are not playing consistently enough at their clubs. Once the World Cup starts, you're going straight into games. This isn't going to be a warm up game or a week that you're going straight into games, and you worry for the likes of Dest, who was at Barcelona, went to AC Milan, not really played a lot of games. You worry about captain, fantastic Christian Pulisic, hasn't played a lot of games at Chelsea, played a few. Yes, people might say, okay, he's going to be ready for the World Cup. But once he goes from not playing week in, week out, and you go into playing high intensity games, there's always a chance of injury, and you worry about this squad. And I think for me, when you look at it being realistic, A lot of the guys who will start for this USA team haven't been playing consistently enough at club level to just go straight into
3: World Cup matches. Well, obviously, uh, not the most positive assessment for the USMNT, but let's try and look at something. <laughs> a, a li- They're playing a England less. and
2: Wales, mate, I can't give him too much,
3: too much. Uh, uh, well, let's, let's 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 try and find a a positive there. I mean, is there anybody who in that squad you do expect to sort of be integral to any hopes that the USMNT have of uh, of getting out of their group and perhaps? Uh, you know at least trying to make a foray in the in the knockout phase and there's a lot of talk about Gio Reyna. we've talked in the past about you know it being a question of when he's available uh not sort of what he's actually capable of doing on the pitch but is there anyone else who you think you know could sort of be a, an unexpected success uh in relative terms here
2: i'd have to go with uh the two Leeds players in my opinion uh it's uh is it brant aronson so yeah brendan aronson, aronson. and uh, Taylor Adams. Taylor Adams, that's the one. His name slipped my mind, sorry. I would have to go with those two. And the only reason I'll go with those two is because I think they've been in great form for Leeds so far from the start of season to now. They've been very, very instrumental in Leeds' um, his campaign this season so far. And I feel that they're in the right rhythm, right place, right level of fitness where they can make a big impact. I would say those two right now, just because of watching them play week in, week out for Leeds in the Premier League can make a big difference. Uh, I think for me, Weston McKennie is one of the other players as well. He's had injuries problems, just come back to Juventus again, in and out. But I feel he's a big personality and a big character. Um, whether he's fully fit and ready to go is another story and another scenario. But I'd have to say for me that, that the two players I would look in this squad to be very influential, depending how they're used in this USA setup, is the two Leeds boys.
3: And there was an interesting omission as well, with no Zach Stefan in goal. But you've got Horvath, who plays for for Luton, and you've got Matt Turner, uh, who you know is on the books at Arsenal. Were you surprised, uh, you know, given that Stefan moved to to Middlesbrough to get that, you know, those regular minutes uh, ahead of the World Cup, that he's been uh, stricken from this roster?
2: Ah, there's more to that than looks meets the eye. Cause again, this is a goalkeeper who's got a great relationship with the national team manager. They work together beforehand. Um, I've heard some stories, obviously of his time at Manchester city and the certain things. But again, when he got the opportunities, forget the stories outside of football, but when he got the opportunities at Manchester city, he didn't do himself any favors. Um, I think for me, that's, that's, that's the big one, but um, it's, You'd have to say when something like that does occur, there's more to it than meets the eye than just form because he's left Manchester City to get more game time and still not to make the squad. There's more to that story, and I'm sure we probably might find out down the line what the situation is in there.
3: Well, no doubt that the In Soccer We Trust guys will be breaking that down as we speak. So, yeah, just uh, tying a bow on that roster talk, you've got the likes of uh, Celeta Sarr left out by Croatia. That's sort of another one of the the main headlines of the day, along with Sadio Mane potentially now being a doubt for, for Senegal going to the World Cup. Now, we'll move on to the final... Uh, topic uh, in today's chat, Nigel, because you you mentioned it earlier, or you alluded to it at least, with some of the political figures responsible for deciding that the World Cup should go to Qatar uh, back in uh, 2010. Now, one of them, Sepp Blatter, came out and admitted to Qatar being a mistake in, uh, in his words. Now, I want your one-minute response to his comments, no more, no less, uh, you know what? What would you say uh, to the the disgraced ex FIFA president uh, based on what he said? Absolutely bollocks! <laughs>
2: <laughs> they knew exactly what they were doing when they were doing it. I I just I just don't have the patience for BS. I'm sorry because when FIFA were doing this, they knew exactly what they were doing. There's biddings that go on. There's certain things that happen. Now that you've done it, and people are basically coming out against it to condemn it. And again, the sad thing is I give credit to Jurgen Klopp. It shouldn't be down to the players to take a stand, That people in the press and media saying, oh, the players, the players. No, people in the press and the media who have the power should have been saying it from the start. As soon as this World Cup was awarded there, it doesn't make sense. You want the game to grow, give it to nations where they're actively trying to help the game develop and grow and have an infrastructure in place and actually doing it the right way. This was just a money grab. We all know it. We all know how the system works. Absolute money grab. They knew what they were doing. Now they're facing backlash. And now obviously we know Seth Blatter's situation with FIFA and they obviously try not to give him any kind of room to wiggle to come back in. Now he wants to sit on the moral high train to say it was a mistake should have never been given. Well, you should have had that same energy when this was occurring. Like don't come with that BS to me. I'm sorry.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty weak as well. Uh, you know, the Blatter looked to put a lot of the blame on Platinum, and it's essentially been a finger-pointing game between them since the allegations of fraud. Uh, you know, I know that it went to, to court earlier this uh, this summer, but you know, it does uh, almost feel like the the pot calling the kettle black uh, at times when when Blatter says stuff like that. I'll uh, one final topic uh, before we before we let everyone go, uh, and it's something that I discuss in quite great detail with uh, Ian Joy in the weekend um review and that's on these injuries plaguing Qatar uh, and the World Cup this winter. Now, first of all, I want to get your thoughts on the mounting list uh, you know, of, of players getting injured and having to rule themselves out or being ruled out by their clubs or federations. Is this is this a surprise to you or did you expect uh, a greater number uh, of these kind of scenarios?
2: No surprise at all. And it's it's a big number. And the, the problem is it's the football fans and the national team fans that are being robbed of seeing some of their top players at peak form. Again, no one's ever had a World Cup during Christmas. When it's happening in the summer, there's enough time for players when they finish the domestic league to go into training camp to get treatment. If it's little niggles and in the injuries, there might be one or two friendlies before the World Cup starts. Now is a regular season. And during the Christmas period, when you're getting to that Christmas run of a lot of games, this is something we always see all the time. Without a World Cup being there, players start to pick up little niggles, little injuries, and it always happens. So what do people people really expect to happen? And then now you've got the World Cup there. Pep Guardiola's come out and said it, which is so true. Some of these players playing for these clubs have already got one eye on the World Cup because for some of these players, it might be the only World Cup they play in. This isn't something like the Super Bowl that happens every year. No, this is every four years. This is once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for some of these players. So you can't really blame them for having one eye on the World Cup. And I just, I'm not surprised. And this is what you get. And all of this mess has been made by FIFA because FIFA laid their bed to have a World Cup in Qatar during the wintertime. Just, let's be real, for financial gain. That is the reality of it.
3: You know, this is uh this is fascinating to me because I had Ian's view uh the other day as somebody who's enjoyed the winter break and enjoyed the benefits that it brings. And now I'm speaking to you, you know, a former Premier League player. Is the the Boxing Day, the Christmas, the festive period, the most challenging part of the Premier League calendar? Because it it, it does seem, you know, so unforgiving, uh, you know, for players of uh, of Premier League clubs, you know, to get to that point where everybody needs a breather, even during a normal season, let alone, uh, you know, a season where you've got the World Cup rammed in there as well. Surely this is going to be the most testing of testing circumstances for some of these players.
2: Yeah, it definitely is. I think you've got the World Cup and you've got to come back. I think in my playing time, I remember one time, uh, I think playing my early career, 19 or 18, playing at Wimbledon. The Christmas period was the busiest period ever. I couldn't believe how many games we had to play. Literally, I think in one week we played uh, Saturday, Tuesday, Friday, Sunday, and then Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, literally for three weeks nonstop. So two or three games a week. And as a young player, you enjoy it because you didn't have to do that much training. It was literally just playing games. But the Christmas period was something that we kind of were programmed to understand. You train on Christmas Day. You, Depending on what club you're at and their rules and regulations, you might be able to stay home for Christmas Day for a bit. Can't eat a lot of turkey, can't eat a lot of food, can't indulge in the drink or anything like that. Because at nighttime wow, That, that must have been a real challenge for you. No, it wasn't a challenge <laughs> for me, JJ. Have you seen me shirtless? Anyway.
3: <laughs> Thankfully I, um not.
2: You couldn't, you couldn't um, indulge in what you'd like to and really celebrate Christmas or appreciate Christmas with your family because you had a game boxing day and two, three days later, you'd had another game and another game. So Christmas was generally sacrificed with your family, your entire football career because throughout Christmas was generally the busiest period of time of games. You were constantly playing and it's something that you got used to. But again, now it's just such a different scenario when you've got this World Cup and then starting again and all these different things.
3: Look at Des saying that's why you should have moved to Milan. I mean to be honest if I was saying that you should have so, moved to Milan it's definitely for the food over there.
2: Des, that's why you shouldn't support Ireland anymore, isn't it? When was the last World Cup you went to, Des?
3: <laughs> All right, so we're fine for, for, for to conclude, I want a, a one word answer to this. Would you be for the the Premier League introducing a winter break whether it's, you know, a week or or, or 10 days, do you think it's something that you know must be introduced at some point in the future to prevent the those players getting run down and to to sort of not necessarily to maintain the integrity because i know that it's it's ingrained in in everybody's uh, you know sort of habits as well at, at christmas time to sit down watch the the match that's on boxing day but sort of for the for the good of the league the 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 product do you think it's something as well that uh, you know should be introduced by the premier league at some point
2: no i've got reasons to as well if you want me to give you my reasons
3: All right, go for it quickly. Why not?
2: The game has changed. Now we've moved to five substitutions. These clubs have way big enough squads to be able to handle the demand. The only reason why we're probably having this conversation is because, remember, first ever World Cup in Christmas. If this World Cup wasn't here, we'll be carrying on as normal with fixtures. These clubs have way big enough squads now, five substitutions. They've got all the science behind it to keep players fresh. I think it's a great product
3: to play throughout Christmas. All right, fantastic stuff. Thank you very much, Nigel, for joining me this evening, and thank you guys for listening to House of Champions. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere that you listen to your podcast. We're also available as video, so subscribe to us on YouTube. And I will spare Nigel Rio coca the ignominy of uh, Ian's usual banter there. So, thank you for joining us tonight am- this evening. A looking in the
0: room. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.